Now, from a human perspective, and by human perspective, I mean a horizontal perspective, uh, we could say the rock is humility or wisdom born out uh, of humility. And, and the sand is pride, it's self-love, it's, it, it's independence, it's foolishness. But if we're going to look at this vertically, the rock is Jesus. And the sand is everything else. Our, our, our gods, our idols, the good things in our life that we turn into ultimate things, and you always know it's an ultimate thing if you tell yourself or you're uh, aware of the fact that you just simply can't live without it. So what I want to do is I want to look at the contrast today, then I want to uh, pull out from the metaphor three characteristics of humility and conclude with two keys. Two keys to, uh, to humility. And again, if Christmas is about anything, it's about the humility of Jesus Christ. And I want that for you. So let's start with the contrast. The contrast here in Jesus' story isn't between people who hear Jesus' teaching and people who don't. In other words, it's not between religious people and irreligious people or our secular people. The contrast instead is between genuine believers in Christ and religious or moral people think the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day. And the difference is the one set of people wisely put the sermon on the mount into practice. They pull it down, press it into their lives. And as a result, they live countercultural, radically countercultural lives. They are driven by upside down values, the values expressed here in this wonderful sermon of Jesus. But the other set of people foolishly don't. And their lives are actually, when you look closely, no different than popular culture the popular culture around them. So when we have these two houses, we need to understand that they look very similar on the outside, but inside or uh, uh, underneath at the center of their lives or foundational to their lives is something very different. And, and the difference is humility versus pride, uh, the love of Jesus or self-love. A dependence upon Jesus or independence from Jesus. Uh, the difference is I, uh, we love Jesus or, you know what, this Jesus thing is too weird for me. And so, uh, you know what the foolish people are like here, what Jesus is trying to help us understand? The foolish people are like a rebellious teenager that says to Jesus, hey, give me the keys to the car, but don't you tell me how to drive or where to go, or what time to be home. And Jesus Christ is saying at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, do not, do not live like that. So let's look at a couple characteristics of how we should live if we are living humble lives before our infinite Savior, who at the center of his life is humility. Uh, characteristic number one. 
According to the metaphor, humility listens and pride hears but doesn't listen. Another way to say that is pride listens selectively. Well, what is selective listening? listening? Well, you know, it's hearing what you want to hear. Uh, you didn't tell me that. I told you this yesterday. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. We hear what we want to hear. And you know why that is? You know why uh, selective listening is such a problem in our marriages and our relationships? Is because at the center or underneath selective listening, if we place ourselves at the center. But active listening places the person that's speaking to us at the center. And so who's driving, who's at the center of your life makes all the difference in the world whether you listen actively or you listen selectively. Now what I want you to notice is because Jesus concludes this famous sermon by talking about hearing. You're hearing my hearing. He's teaching us that whether we listen actively or selectively to him is such a big deal that our eternal destiny, our house, depends upon it. So what about you? Do you listen to Jesus? Do you listen to the teaching of the Bible? Do you listen actively or, or selectively? Do you pick and choose? You know, I really don't like the Old Testament, but I, I like the New Testament. Or are you a person that focuses on, on the love of God but ignores the righteousness of God? Or the themes of forgiveness and grace? But, it, uh, but you know, you struggle with the commands, even the commands of Jesus. Later in the Gospels, Jesus himself will say, if you want to be my disciple, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he's welcome. She's welcome. But you must deny yourself Take up your cross and follow me. So when you hear that, do you focus on a kind of loose perception of following Jesus and ignore the daily self-denial? I've got to deny myself in this situation. Man, I'm about to get angry, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to deny myself. Or take what Jesus teaches us here in the Sermon on the Mount. Earlier, Jesus tells us that it's our anger, not just our murder, that kills other people. Do you listen to what Jesus is saying about your anger? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that his people, his followers, love and forgive their enemies. They forgive parents that have hurt them. Other people that have rejected them, co-workers, bosses, spouses. Uh, do you put that into practice? Uh, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, don't lay up your treasures in heaven, or don't lay up your treasures in earth, but invest them, send them ahead of you into heaven. 
So do you put into practice what Jesus says about living a life of generosity, about giving? Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, hey, stop worrying. Why are you so worried? Uh, do you listen to that? Do, do, do you put that into practice? Jesus says, don't sit in judgment on others. Don't hold other people with contempt. Don't hold the church with contempt. Uh, co-workers. Do you hear that? In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, 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 Jesus says <laughs> that we need to admit our inability to submit to him. That we need to mourn. I'm back to the Beatitudes. Uh, we need to mourn our sin. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, Jesus is describing what people who actively listen to his teaching do. And because they are done with selective listening. How about you? Is God's word changing your life? Not just in this area and then forget the other areas, but in every single area of your life is God's word doing a drip, drip into every single room of your house. I mean, what would the people around you say? You're actively, selectively listening to Jesus. That's humility. The humility to hear and to put into practice. Now let me go on. There's a second characteristic of humility here, and that is that humility digs deep. And pride doesn't. Now we see this in, God, in Luke's account of the same story. So I want you to see these two interesting verses in Luke chapter 6, and I'm going to read beginning in verse 47. Jesus says, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug, here it is, dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Humility digs down deep. Through the sand, through the soil, to the bedrock. Now, Jesus is assuming something here, I think. He's uh, assuming that we understand to build a sustainable, livable, permanent house, a house that will keep our family safe. We've got to be concerned about the plans, the specifications, and all the work, starting with all, all the work that goes into securing the foundation. To build a house is a whole lot of work. And, and Jesus is saying, how much more so your spiritual life? And, and I, I can't sugarcoat this. Jesus is calling for a radical, not a casual, commitment to him. When Luke tells us the man dug down deep, he is telling us the man took the reading of the Bible seriously. 
memorizing verses. He, he took prayer seriously. He took church seriously. He, he was in a, a life group, if you will, where other people could hold him accountable. And he took that life group experience uh, seriously. The difference between humility and pride is that humility has a plan for spiritual growth. Do you? Is it reflected on your calendar? Are you digging down deep? But pride is content with a casual, superficial approach to Christianity. Now let me go back to arguably one of the most important of all the Psalms. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 1. Because what we have is an Old Testament illustration of what Jesus picks up here in the Gospels. Now Psalm 1 is called the Gateway Psalm. And by that, it means that Psalm 1 lays a foundation for understanding everything else that follows in the next 149 Psalms. And specifically what the psalmist tells us in Psalm 1 is if we are going to experience the abundance of the spiritual life that we see throughout the Psalms, this intimacy with Jesus, then it begins with meditating on God's word. So verse 1, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now that's a Hebrew idiom for focus for centering uh, for you never get too far from the word of God thinking about the word of God praying to God and then we see the benefit the result that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do whatever they do they prosper what is digging deep it's meditating on the word of God. It's thinking about what the word of God says. So biblically, meditation is not emptying your mind. It's filling your mind with God's truth. For me, this means I'm continually memorizing verses or, or passages in God's word. And it's just a part of my discipline. And so before I pray, man, I've got four, five, six verses that I just go over, I think about, I, I repeat to myself to help me get framed and get ready to face the living God in my, in my prayer life. It means you think, it means you mull over, it means you memorize verses, you ask uh, questions, you, you take your relationships with other Christians seriously, you listen to sermons, podcasts, whatever. And there's two promises here. And, and the first promise is you can meditate your way to delight, to joy. So the psalmist says, he or she delights in the law of the Lord. Well, how in the world do they delight? How do you get to that delight? By meditating. The more you meditate, the more you delight in God's word because you see the robustness, the richness, the specific application of God's word. And it creates delight and joy in your life when there's so much darkness. And the other promise is digging deep leads to spiritual prosperity. We'll be like trees planted by streams of water. 
Now let me go back to Matthew chapter 7 in light of Psalm 1. There's probably a lot of reasons why the foolish uh, man didn't dig deep. But I want to suggest that one of the reasons was he was just too busy. Too preoccupied. His schedule was too full. Yeah, he had a form of spiritual ADD, if you, you will. You know, I, I can't concentrate. I, 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 I'm not a student. I want to suggest he must have lived in Chicago. Now, here's the problem. We're, we're all students of the things we love. You love to cook, you're a student of cooking. You love to fix cars, you're, you're a student of engines. We're all a student of the things we love. And humility before Jesus Christ says, I love Jesus and I want to learn about Jesus. And Jesus has given me his word and Jesus has given me this incredible opportunity to pray. And Jesus wants me to experience him in my day. And so we ask, we dig deep, we seek that we might come to know Jesus. And pride doesn't want to be bothered. And we don't put Jesus' word into practice. Now let me move on. Uh, humility listens uh, humility digs deep. And, and finally, and this is the most important aspect of humility in, in this short story, humility obeys. And, and, and today, this is, uh, for a lot of different reasons, a hard word for us. But as I quoted Paul in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus became obedient to the point of death, and he was God. Even death on a cross. I want to suggest when this metaphor uh, uh, um, implicitly talks about humility, uh, that what it's telling us is uh, genuine believers in Christ, the way the test you can tell whether you're a genuine believer in, in Christ is that you're giving yourself to putting his words into practice. Not perfectly, but selectively. Now, this is exactly if you're a parent and Rhonda and I sit over a small kingdom, if you're a parent, this is exactly what you long for in your children, whether they're young or like our kids, they're moving into adulthood. And even as adults, man, I want my, our kids to live lives consistently with what we've taught them about God's word. And the very thing we long for for our children is what God longs for from us. So my, my question is, how can we expect the one and deny the other? Well, this is, one, this is what I want for my kids, but I'm going to give myself a free pass. And what Jesus is saying, because he loves us so much, is don't do that. When is the train most free? When it stays on the tracks. 
Jesus' point here when he's talking about obedience is you will be the most free. You will experience the most joy and the peace in your life when you give yourself to putting Jesus' words into practice. Obedience, the sacrifice of obedience is what makes people heroes. Your obedience to Jesus is what makes you a hero in the kingdom of heaven. It's Abraham in the Old Testament totally, completely, counterintuitively taking his son up the mountain. It's Joseph uh, continually refusing to commit adultery, even though the woman kept coming at him every single day. It's Moses doing the last thing he wanted to do, and he went and he confronted Pharaoh, the most powerful person on the planet. It's Esther, if I perish, I perish, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm all in. You see, Jesus is saying the obedience, the gospel-centered, obedient life is the most beautiful of all lives. And every moment of your obedience is a moment of beauty that echoes and echoes and echoes throughout eternity. As James chapter 1 says, or James chapter 1 warns, uh, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. And then James follows with an illustration, and he says, do not be like the person who just quickly just glances into the mirror and then immediately goes away and has completely forgotten their identity in Jesus Christ. Don't live that way, because if you live that way, you know what you're going to be like? You're going to be like a person that goes through your day with big glumps of food stuck in your front teeth. You're deceived. You're not aware of it. Jesus is saying, come, enjoy, taste the beauty of obedience. So so what does humility look like here? uh, Humility listens. Man, it digs deep and it obeys. Now, how do we get there, though? I mean, that's just like a truckload of a burden. Uh, How do we live these lives having seen what it looks like? Well, I want to remind you, Jesus isn't calling you to a salvation by works. Jesus is not saying huff and puff and you can do this uh, by yourself because Jesus knows our motives are riddled uh, with self-centeredness and sin. Nor is Jesus calling you to perfectionism. I mean, Jesus knows our hearts are full of idols. Jesus knows we're going to stumble and fall. Instead, what are the keys? Uh, uh, Show me how... I can get to humility. And key number one is astonishment. And I see this in verse 28. Jesus finishes, and the crowds are amazed. The word is stunned. They're astonished at Jesus' teaching and Jesus' authority. Now, now, what did they hear that caused astonishment? 
Well, what they heard in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus uh, continually places himself at the center of the universe. So in verse 24 and verse 26 in our passage, he says, hear these words of mine. And periodically throughout the Sermon on the Mount, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus says, you heard it was said, but I say to you. Jesus is placing himself at the center of the universe. But not only that, they were astonished because Jesus is placing himself here at the center of judgment. Judgment on the final day. So you back up to verses 22 and 23. And, and Jesus has just said, many will say to me on that day, that day of judgment, but I will tell them. Center of the universe, center of judgment. And then we also see here Jesus placing himself at the center of the sentencing that takes place when we all stand before Jesus Christ. Because he says in verse 23 that I'm not going to call down fire and brimstone on you, but what I am going to say is I never knew you away from me. The sentence is banishment from the presence of Jesus. And the crowds were aghast. They were amazed at Jesus' authority. His authority. Hear me. Humility begins with you being astonished at Jesus. Amazed at who he is. Amazed at what he has done. You, humility begins when you get your eyes off yourself and self and, and you uh, see the beauty and the glory and the majesty of the one who is the center of the universe and what he has done for you at Christmas. And, and so you ask and you dig and, and you seek that at all times the one who is at the center of the universe will be at the center of your lives. Now, when I was preparing this message, I was tempted to stop here, but I realized I couldn't stop here. Because there has to be more than astonishment, because the crowds were astonished, but not all the crowds ended up following Jesus. So there has to be something more than astonishment. And I want to suggest the second, the more important key, is repentant faith. We repent, we turn from our sin, and we believe in Jesus. Now, the words repentance and faith hardly occur in the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus assumes them in everything he says. So what is repentance? Uh, repentance is admitting your spiritual inability, your spiritual brokenness and sinfulness before a holy God. And begging God for the mercy to turn from it. And you beginning the process of, of turning. To repent is to turn. Is, is to turn away. But it's not just repentance. It's repentant faith. Because faith means you stop depending on yourself. Or, or, or you stop depending on yourself. And you depend. You transfer your trust to Jesus. Uh, and you depend upon Jesus. Perfect life is perfect death. His perfect resurrection. to cleanse you and to forgive you, to save you and to rescue you, to change you and to transform you. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin and we will never, we will never get to the Sermon on the Mount. We will never get to a life of humility. 
if we don't live lives of repenting and believing and depending. Let me conclude with this. Some years ago, true story, a little girl fell 20 feet down a very narrow pipe. As a matter of fact, the pipe was so narrow, it kind of cushioned her fall. And so she's alive at the bottom of this pipe. And because of where it was located and all the complexities, it was a massive, enormous national news type of thing to rescue her, and eventually they did rescue her. When you, my brothers and sisters, recognize that you were that little girl, that you have fallen into a hole before the living, loving, righteous God of the universe, and that God in his mercy sent his son down that pipe. Technically, he sent his sound down a much more narrow, restricted pipe that eventually squashed him, suffocated him, and killed him because he loves you. When you see that, and that melts your heart, you will be saved. And as you continually come back to that wonderful reality, you know what? You're going to grow in your humility. So Jesus is asking you to make a choice. The humble house or your house? Jesus or yourself. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at what you have done for us. Your love, your mercy. Would you help us to see and hear what you have said to us in this wonderful, wonderful Sermon on the Mount. Change us by your Spirit. Amen.